reason that today is so significant for us is because without Easter Sunday, without the resurrection of Jesus, nothing of our faith matters. Jesus is still in the grave and our faith is meaningless. But here at this church and at churches all around the world, we believe that Jesus has risen again from the grave. And because of this, this has eternal significance and is able to have meaning for all of humanity. And this is why uh, Easter is being celebrated all around the world today of all days. And today, I just want to share with you uh, the resurrection account from the Gospel of Luke uh, in, verse, uh, in chapter 24 verses 1 to 8. And it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And we can say, he is risen indeed. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words." This moment that we have just read and that we also read from the Gospel account of John just a little bit early, this is the most monumental, significant moment in all history. And this is the moment that caused everyone who had spent the most time with Jesus to go and tell everyone that they possibly could that Jesus had now risen from the dead. And they believed this message so strongly And they were communicating it with so much passion that this message spread all across the world and is even celebrated by us 2,000 years later on the other side of the world. Now, this news that these people shared with others, this is often called the gospel, which means good news. And the people who shared this message were often called witnesses, not because of a certain message that they had just heard, but because this was something that they had experienced for themselves firsthand. Now, for most of you in the room this morning, you've probably sat through many Easter sermons before. Even if this is one of the times that you just come to church throughout the year, you've probably sat through many of these sermons before. And I'm assuming you would probably feel like you have a firm grasp on what this message of the gospel, the good news, really is. But over the past while for myself... I've been trying to do a little bit of rediscovery of what the gospel, this good news, truly is. What was at the heart of this message that the followers of Jesus shared with every single person that they had met? What was the main thing that they were trying to communicate with people? Now, you might be surprised that this pastor is up the front and he's been going on a journey of rediscovery to understand the gospel. I mean, this is the heart of the the Christian faith. I, of all people, should have a a firm understanding of, uh, of what this is. But if this is the heart of what the Christian message really is... And if this is what Easter and the resurrection of Jesus is all about, then we should know what the effect of Easter really means at its heart for all of us here today. 
The key understanding that many of us in the Western world will have about Easter, uh, about the, uh, the gospel, often follows four key moments. The first moment that many of us will understand of, uh, of the gospel is creation. So God created all things good and perfect and created humanity in his own image. Then we have the fall. So a few chapters later, we have sinned and turned away from God, causing separation in our relationship with God. But God came as Jesus, this is redemption, and lived the perfect life that none of us are able to live. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and he rose again on Easter, victorious over sin and death. And now he offers us the chance to be reconciled back to God through faith in Jesus. And then perfection. One day Jesus is going to be coming again. He will put everything right. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you will experience eternal life with him. This is the understanding that many of us may have of what the gospel is. And can I just say, this is not bad. Nothing that I've just said is wrong. I have taught this myself. And can I just say, I'm going to teach this again. But to understand this as a gospel message isn't necessarily wrong, but it just seems a little bit incomplete, because if this is the extent of the gospel, these four things that I just mentioned, then our Bible is unnecessarily long. <laughs> there is a lot of information here that it might seem like we could just pull, uh, put to the side. At no stage through our Bibles do we see these four different points packaged together in this nature and how it's presented. Now, this doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with this presentation that I just gave to you. It just misses the fact that the gospel was presented differently to different audiences and has nuance in how it's spoken about through Scripture. Now, if you really want to understand what the heart of the Easter message is all about, what this gospel message is, then there's no better place that you can turn than the book of Romans. The reason for this is throughout the book of Romans, Paul is trying to draw different pieces from all over Scripture and bring clarity to what it means for, uh, for us here today. This... Um, uh, throughout this book of Romans, Paul begins to formulate a holistic view of what Jesus did through his death and resurrection and what it means for us here today. And one of the passages that's very key through the, uh, through the book of Romans is in Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. And it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now right here, there is a huge amount that speaks into what Easter has accomplished, but there is a starting point that happens partway through what we have just read. And it says this, all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Around that, there's all of these things about being redeemed by Jesus and made righteous through faith in Jesus. But before you can get there, you have to be aware of sin. Now, sin is one of these things that is very misunderstood. There are songs written about sin um, being naughty. There are TV shows about, that talk about sin being all of the fun stuff. Even in church, sometimes we can talk about sin simply being the mistakes that we have made through life. But the meaning of sin in the original language literally means missing the mark. In a strange way, sin is almost like a soccer player or a footballer who has missed the goalposts. Now, when I was a child, um, the Brisbane Broncos who I don't support, by the way, but they, back then, when I was a child, they were possibly in their greatest form of all time. They had a superstar team that included Kevin Walters, Darren Lockyer, Gordon Tallis, Shane Webke, Lottie Takiri, Dane Carlaw, Brad Thorne, Tony Carroll, and many people's favourite player, who was this guy on the screen, who was... Wendell Saylor, very, very good. In the year 2000, um, Wendell Saylor was finishing his time at the Broncos, and in one particular game, right at the end of the season, the Broncos had scored a try right under the Gold Coast. Now, in this game, the Broncos were up by a huge amount at this stage in the game, and so to convert the try, because it was one of Wendell's last games with the Broncos, the Broncos decided to give Wendell um, the opportunity to convert the try for two extra points. Now, I still remember this moment as a child, watching Wendell Saylor about to convert the try. Everyone watching knew that Wendell Saylor is not the typical kind of player to convert tries, but this was the easiest conversion in history right in front of the goalposts. And so the crowd began to erupt. They were cheering on Wendell as he lined up the kick. He had so much focus on his face for this conversion. The goalposts were right there, but this was his one opportunity throughout his whole career to be able to convert a try. He took the kick with nerves racing through his body, and it began veering to the left, but it did make its way through the goalposts. And the, uh, the goalposts. And the crowd was ecstatic. His teammates ran to him with support, and even Wayne Bennett himself gave a little smile, <laughs> which shows that someone was very, very ecstatic about this. Wendell Saylor, he was given this, uh, this opportunity because there was almost no way that he could miss the goalposts in this, uh, in this shot and be able to, uh, to score. But what if Wendell had been placed at the side of the field? Or even worse, what if he had been placed at the opposite corner of the field? Or even worse, what if he had been placed 10 kilometres away from the goalposts? Suddenly, there is no possible way for him to be able to score. Now, this language of sin in the Bible, sin literally means missing the mark. But it's not like our sin has missed the mark by just a little bit, but every sin that we've ever committed, every wrong thought, action and word, has removed us 
an insurmountable amount from being able to hit the mark. Or in Paul's words, we have fallen short of the mark. And not just by a little bit, but by an infinite amount. And this is why Paul's point here in Romans 3 is that you can't do any certain number of good things to hit the mark. You've fallen impossibly short, and this is true for all of us. And so the only way that we could possibly hit the mark is through the help of someone else. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. Through Jesus coming to this earth and never having sinned, having never missed the mark, he was the only way who would, uh, he was the only one who could bridge this gap between the mark and us. This is what the death of Jesus meant because he took our sins away. We aren't then just suddenly moved a little bit closer to the mark, we are carried through the mark. But this leaves a glaring question that all of us should be asking. What is the mark? What are the goalposts? What is the thing that we have missed? If sin is missing the mark, then what have we missed? But also, what is the primary thing that we gain after we place our faith in Jesus? What are the goalposts that we have missed and fallen so short of? Now, there are a lot of things presented to us throughout the New Testament that are things that we gain when we place our faith in Jesus. And for some of us, we may have thought about these things as being the mark, as the things, the primary things that we gain. Is the mark eternal life? In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they shall inherit eternal life. This is something that we gain after placing faith in Jesus. Is this the primary thing that we gain, though? Is this the thing that we have missed? Is it becoming righteous? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are made righteous after we place our faith in Jesus. We are suddenly unblemished before God, even though we have sinned against Him. Is it gaining a better life? Some people will tell you the main reason that you should come into a relationship with Jesus is that you will gain a better life. Now, there are definitely spiritual benefits to uh, to having faith in Jesus. But throughout a lot of the New Testament, we're actually taught that when you place faith in Jesus, many aspects of your life will become more difficult, particularly physically. Now, is it the Holy Spirit? After we place faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit that comes and lives, who comes and lives within us, giving us gifts, power, fruit, comforts. Is it the kingdom? Much of Jesus' language throughout the gospel is that of the kingdom. Through faith in Jesus, we get welcomed into an everlasting kingdom. Is that the thing that we have missed? And is that the primary thing that we gain through faith in Jesus? Is it salvation? Salvation means literally being saved. So when we come to Jesus, we are saved from hell and the penalties of sin. Is that the primary mark? Is that the primary thing that we have missed? Now, all of these things, they are beautiful, wonderful things that we receive 
when we have placed our faith in Jesus, and they are gifts that are presented to us. But are these things the primary reason of why you place your trust in Jesus? Is this why Jesus came to this earth, died and rose again? Is this what Easter is all about, these things? Now, all of these things, as I said, they are benefits and gifts that we receive through faith in Jesus, but I personally don't think that they are the main purpose of why Jesus came to this earth. There is something before this that needs to take place. And the reason that I think this is that after placing faith in Jesus and receiving those things, if that's all that it's about, then you are able to leave God to the side and not interact with him anymore. You can have eternal life. You can accept righteousness. You might be able to have parts of your life that are better. You can accept the Holy Spirit. You can be welcomed into the kingdom and you can experience salvation. But after experiencing that, you can leave God to the side and not interact with Him much anymore at all. Now, all of these gifts, as I said, they are wonderful. But there is still something else that is even more central, and is the thing that I think we've missed, the, thing, the mark that we've missed through our sin. Now, Paul goes on throughout this book in Romans, and he builds his gospel case, and he unfolds the story of what Jesus has done. And it's widely regarded that Romans chapter 8 is the pinnacle of what Jesus has accomplished for humanity, and Romans 8 has been the thing that Paul has been building to all the time. It's the culmination of everything. And in Romans 8, 14, verse 17, we see these words. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. We've been gifted things if we are children. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. God's intention when He created humanity was that we would have deep, intimate relationship with Him. And the relationship that's described here in Romans is that it would be a relationship like that of a father and a child. When humanity was created, there was a level of intimacy that we were supposed to experience in our relationship with God as we walked through the garden with him that was unparalleled. We had full access to relationship with God, but it was this sin, this breaking of relationship that happened when sin entered the world. And so the mark, the thing that we have missed is the ultimate intention of God throughout history, which has been that we might know Him in deep relationship as a father. But then this passage goes on to say, if we are His children, if we accept relationship 
with the Father, then we are also heirs. There are gifts that we receive, all of these wonderful gifts that he provides. So these gifts and benefits and things that we receive, they're not the mark that we've missed. Being a child of God is the mark. I was speaking to someone recently who was confused about some of this language that we use sometimes of entering into a relationship with God. They said, quite rightly, that we never actually see the word relationship with God mentioned throughout the Bible. And although this is true, what we do see is God now adopting us as his children and calling us to see him as our father. But the nature of how we are to see God as father is unique because it doesn't just say father, it says Abba, Father. Throughout my life, there's been different ways that I have interacted with my own dad. At this stage in my life, I speak to my dad more as a mate than anything. I'll come to him for advice at times, I'll talk through things, but ultimately, our relationship is more of one of being good friends with one another. Is that what Abba, Father means? When I was a bit younger, when I was a teenager, my relationship with my dad was very different. During this period of my life, I had a high respect for my dad, but I did what he told me to do out of a sense of needing to because he was the boss. And there were also consequences if I didn't do what he said. Once again, is the way a teenager interacts with their father what it means when it says Abba Father. When I was a bit younger in primary school, my dad was seen as the almighty provider. Nothing ever went wrong with my dad and he brought home everything I needed, but also provided me with the fun I needed when I spent time with him. Now, once again, I don't think this is what it means to see God as Abba Father because the language is different. Now, when I was even younger... When I was an infant and toddler, my relationship with my dad was different once again. There were things that my dad provided for me, but that was secondary to just being with him. When I was a toddler, I just wanted to hug my dad and know my dad and be with my dad. That was far more important to me than what I got from my dad. And this is what it means to know God as Abba Father. This is the sort of relationship that God has always desired from you. But what our sin has been, what our missing the mark has been, has been a rejection of this sort of relationship. Now, it would have been perfectly reasonable for God to leave us this way of us rejecting relationship with him, but his love for us was so immense and so deep that he came on Good Friday, he died on the cross, bridging the gap between us all, providing eternal life, righteousness, life to the full, the presence of the Holy Spirit, access to the kingdom, salvation, but even more than that, he provided a way for us to experience him again as our Father. The thing about how God chooses to have a relationship with us, he, uh, it doesn't just speak to how we see him, 
but it also speaks into how he sees us. If he is our father, that is how we should view him, but it also tells us how, uh, how he chooses to view us. About two and a half months ago, Sarah and I, we welcomed our son Zechariah into the world. And Zech has, quite honestly, been the most rewarding part of my entire life. I have had no greater joy in my life than him. That's why you don't talk about kids from the front. (laughs) But greater joy in relationship and depth of relationship can also open yourself up to greater pain through that relationship. And the Friday after our son Zach was born, I got a call from my wife telling me that she needed me to come home as soon as possible because there was a doctor who insisted on an urgent call. This was the first day that I had come back to the office at church and I was preparing for Vision Sunday on this Friday, a very important day annually for our church. And I left work and and hurried home. And not long after, we began a Zoom call with a specialist doctor from the Children's Hospital. And he began telling us that Zek's heel prick test after birth had come back and that Zek He, um, he had a very rare condition that only eight people in Queensland have. This condition is called glucaric aciduria type 1 or GA1, and it means that Zek is unable to process certain building blocks of proteins, leaving him at very high risk of a metabolic stroke. We didn't find out everything that night, but the following Monday, we were booked in urgently at the children's hospital to take in Zek and to hear more. When we walked through the doors of the doctor's office, there were four doctors waiting for us. And over the next hour, they began to explain because of Zach's GA1, his diet had to change significantly. If he ever got sick or stressed at all or bumped his head, he had to be rushed to hospital immediately. And we were told that all of this is because he, if he did have a metabolic stroke, then he would highly develop cerebral palsy. Although I acknowledge there is much worse news that parents can hear, finding your child has a high chance of developing cerebral palsy is a very difficult thing to hear the week after he's born. We asked the likelihood of this diagnosis being wrong, and they told us that he had the highest rates of GA1 that they had ever seen. After our appointment, Sarah and I, we discussed what this might mean for us into the future. We were prepared to do everything and anything to prevent this from happening. And my mind ended up going back to the night before on Vision Sunday. My emotional tank was pretty low on that day. And I remember sitting in the back corner of this auditorium just over there. And after the night service, I was holding Zek. And I was just praying to God, God, if there is any way, any way possible, that this could be me instead, please take it from him and give it to me. Uh, 
Isaac's name, which is a high reason why we chose his name, it means God remembers. And as I held my son, all I was praying was, God, would you remember us right now in this moment? In that moment, all I wanted more than anything was to swap places with my son. If I developed any sort of sickness at all, everything would be fine. That's totally cool. But for my son to have this was a lot more difficult. When we see the love of God displayed for us throughout Easter, this is the kind of love that we see. He has loved you so much, so, so much, that he did that. He took your place. You're the one and I'm the one who has missed the mark. But he chose to take our place and chose to take everything on his own shoulders so that this relationship might be bridged, that we might be able to know him as father. He desperately wanted this father relationship with us. It's what Easter means for us. On the Monday at the hospital, they continued to do a lot of tests on Zek to get his medication sorted well. And we waited about a week for some of the, the first results to come in. But we had already started some of the medication that he needed because it was urgent um, that we got onto what we could straight away. And then after about a week, we received our first results back and something was really strange after we received these results. Everything was clear. The doctor had no idea why this would have happened. And so we waited on the second results and the same thing. Everything was clear. We had no idea what was happening and neither did the doctors. It's something that had never happened before in history. And so they did one final test. I imagine they didn't want to be sued in the future. And so they wanted to do one final test to make sure Everything is, uh, is okay. It would be huge if they got this wrong. And so several weeks later, we got a call from the doctor saying that this final result had come back all clear once again. Now, Sarah and I, we tried explaining it, explaining it away, and we were asking if the initial results could have been wrong or if maybe they had been swapped, but we were strongly assured that this was impossible. And that it was all that also wasn't possible for glucaric aciduria to simply leave Zek's system, particularly with the amount that was in his system. Now the language that they used was that this was a mystery. The language that Sarah and I used was that this was a miracle. There was a prayer that I had prayed for God to remember us. But God had never forgotten us. Now, if God hadn't healed Zek, does this mean that he's forgotten us? Of course not. There was still a greater miracle that has taken place. There is still a greater thing that has happened throughout history that shows that God remembers us, which is his death and resurrection. And he did it because he loves you. <laughs> 
He did it because He wants relationship with you. God has remembered you. The love that He has for you is the love between the love of a father for their child. And His love was so great for you that He chose the agonizing pain of swapping places with us so that our relationship with Him might be restored. And Easter is all about this immense love of a father who wanted relationship with you and he was willing to come to this earth and take your place so that you might be in relationship with him. Now this morning, some of you may be here and you may feel like God has forgotten you. You may have a sense that there is not this great father love that God has for you. But can I assure you The cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus, Easter itself, points to the fact that God loves you so much. God hasn't forgotten you. And God remembered you so much that he came to this earth and he died on your behalf. It's the greatest news that you can ever hear. And if you are here this morning and if you have maybe thought that God is good for eternal life or salvation or certain rewards, I want to assure you, you're missing out if you think that that is the whole picture of what it means to have faith in Jesus. Because God calls you into something even deeper, which is relationship with Him as a father to a son. That is something that is eternal, that is far more beautiful and far more wonderful. And so if you haven't understood that ever in your life, then I ask you to, uh, to come and see me after the service. And I would love to spend some time talking to you about what it means to have faith in Jesus. We may have missed the mark. We may have missed what it means to have a relationship in Jesus. But Jesus himself did whatever it was necessary because he loved us so much that we might be able to be in relationship with him. So will we, let's just stand together. We're going to thank Jesus for what he has done. We're going to celebrate the love of the Father to us. We're going to lift up his name together. So let's pray. God, you've been so, so good to us. Thank you that we are now heirs who have inherited eternal life, who have inherited salvation, the kingdom, righteousness. All of these things we have inherited. But before this, we have inherited adoption into being your children, into being your family. So we thank you, God, that you loved us enough to come to this earth You loved us enough to remember us and bridge the gap between us and yourself. Right now, God, I just ask for anyone who may have been using you for your benefits or for your gifts, would you remind them that there is something even more? There is relationship with you, particularly, God, for anyone who is here and who hasn't experienced relationship with you. Would you show them what it means by your Spirit? God, we want to celebrate what you have done. 
We thank you for bridging the gap between us and yourself. But we also just want to praise you, God, because you didn't stay in the grave. You didn't remain crucified. But now you're our living father. (laughs) You're our living hope. You're the king over all things who adopts us into being your, your family. And so, God, we just praise you right now for your goodness and for your love and for rising again from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen.